I'm Nick Harcourt, and welcome to another episode of The Sound of Success, the podcast where we talk with movers, shakers, and just plain cool people about music. Our guest this week is songwriter, producer, and let's just say it, rock star, Noel Gallagher. Noel was the main songwriter, lead guitarist, and co-lead vocalist of the band Oasis from 1991 until they split in 2009. He has written nine UK number one singles and ten UK number one studio albums. After leaving Oasis, he formed Noel Gallagher's High Flying Birds, who have released four albums. The most recent, Council Skies, came out at the beginning of June of 2023. He's widely considered to be one of the most influential songwriters in the history of British rock music, and at the time of our conversation was on a US tour with his band. I caught up with him backstage at the Greek Theatre in Los Angeles, and my thanks to my KCSN radio compadres Matt Blake and Tristan Dolce for capturing audio and video of that conversation, the first part of which was also broadcast on my radio show. I spoke with Noel right after his sound check. Down the years we used to do, when I was in uh, Oasis, we used, to have, we used to do some really long sound checks and they'd be so amazing that, we, that we'd, we'd have to stop it sometimes and say, this would be the gig, what we're we doing. So, <laughs> but we're rehearsed, we're, we're rehearsed up enough to just, it's more for the sound man, really. We shouldn't really have to sound check now. It's just that... Everyone knows what they're doing. There's, right. none of, there's none of this. Can I? But I can. There's yeah. that going on now. So, uh, as my band said to me yesterday in the sound check, fucking hell, it sounds really good. And I was like, fucking want to for the money I'm paying. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it does sound really good. Yes, it does um, sound good. So, so the last time I saw you was about five and a half years ago, and it was on Who Built the Moon. And I remember asking you a little bit at the time about producers because you'd used a different producer that mm. time around, Dave, David Holmes. Um, and then for Council Skies, the, the new album, which is fantastic, by the way. Mm, thank you. Um, you sort of bought it back in house again. Yeah. Um, well, I, to be honest, I've never really, I've never really gone out of my way to, oh, I have to use this producer or that producer. I kind of know what I want to sound like. Obviously not with Who Built the Moon. I had no idea what was going on. That was like a concept between me and David and it's going to be written in the studio. So I had no. I had no input on that, of minimal input on that. But what what I what what I do, yeah, I am a producer. Do you know what I mean? I'm, and I'm certainly good enough to produce my own music. And by the time I've decided on a track listing and the demos that I do, my studio is is so great. It's like it's not a demo studio; it's a proper studio. So. By the time I've, my demos already sound like the finished thing. Right. So there'd be no point in me getting a producer in who would come in and want to put his own stamp on it because I've already decided what it's going to be like. But uh, for next time, I don't know if I, I, might, I might have a change of heart, but I just, with this one, because it was all written in lockdown and we didn't know who was going to be available or anything like that. It was, we just did it ourselves. Yeah, well, talk, talk about that a little bit. Obviously, we all stopped for, mm. for a minute. Um, where were you at in the cycle, I guess we would call it? Well, I'd, I'd just come back. I'd, I'd been on the road for 50, uh, four and a bit years on and off with the Chasing Yesterday record, which rolled straight into a U2 tour, which then rolled straight into Who Built the Moon and then finished off a U2 thing. So it was a lot of touring. And there was always the plan to take 2020 out right in 2022 uh, 2021 and then record in 22. And so I'm actually, I haven't lost any time in putting a record. I was always the plan to put it out now, but, um, 
You had a little more time to work on it, though. Well, yeah. it just meant I started right. Instead of having a year off, dossing around and fucking right. getting fucking drunk all day, and the fucking uh, I was kind of sat at home. So I, I, I wrote, I wrote way more material than I, than I would have. So I've got, I've got another couple of albums in the bag already. So uh, yeah, I, I guess like most artists navigated it through the best because I, I, I had shit to do. I can, I can do my stuff at home, do you know what I mean? I can... Well, you bought your own studio now as well, right? Yeah, well, that, that wasn't... F I started building that in 2018. That didn't finish until... Uh, we didn't get in there until January 21. Oh, all right. So, because obviously it came to a grinding halt and then sure. there was that bit where it was like a semi-lockdown where there was only certain people allowed in and they all acted all that fucking bullshit. Yeah. Um, Unless you were a politician. So, Unless you were Boris Johnson. <laughs> you can go yeah. wherever you want. Yeah. And uh, so, and I don't live anywhere near my studio. My studio's like fucking about oh. two hours drive away. Um, so I did it. I wrote all at home with a little, you know, a little mobile phone and did all the demos into that. And then, and then, and then just waited for, so we could all get in the studio. Right. But it was quite a, it's quite an easy process. I think, um, yeah, I'm not sure whether it has any uh, had any effect on the way the album is, but it was certainly more a more considered approach than, you know, doing it, putting it out, going on tour. There was kind of there was enough time to stand back and listen to it. You said that your demos are pretty much the the finished thing yeah. anyway. Um, when you did go into the studio to to record them and turn them into the songs that are on the album, you bought some friends in again right Johnny Marr came in yeah Johnny um, uh, this is the first record all my band had played on uh, yeah Johnny yeah I guess Johnny is the most famous person on it but um, apart from you obviously well, uh, <laughs> but yeah he, yeah, he was there Johnny was there for about a week right uh, and it's always an amazing kind of time hanging out with him anyway he's, a, he's, a, he's an old friend of mine so we have a great time but um, yeah he was great what he did you know, I love working with him you've always been Big on um, strings and horns. There's a there's a lot of that on on this record. Yeah, it wasn't intentional. It, as the demos were going on, and of course it's just me in the studio and, a, and an engineer, and uh, we would put on fake strings on the keyboard and fake brass, and think, oh, it's going to work because look at some what when when when, it, when everywhere was reopened and we got to we got to redo it. Yeah, it wasn't it wasn't a concept to to go in and do that. But then as the album was taking shape, it was like. Mm. It's like most of it's got strings on, which is it's not a bad thing. It's beautiful. You know, if you can, as long as you can, uh, as long as you can recreate it live, which which we're doing a pretty good job of. So, yeah, it's something I haven't done for a while. You yeah. Know? And I've got a string arranger, a girl called Rosie Danvers, who who works for me in London. Who's she's done all my string arrangements for years, and she just gets it. I don't even really have to tell her what you know. I don't even have to tell her what. You just give her the demo and say, fill it in. Well, I, no, she'll come to the studio and, and kind of sit there and, you know, she just gets it. I get, I've often wondered maybe it's because she's a woman that she gets the more romantic side of it and it's a, the strings are a lot less, they're very kind of female sounding strings and romantic. Um, but no, if anything, I'd just say, for example, for Dead in the World, I'd say, just think of it as French film noir, you know, and then she'd go off and do that. And then for Open the Door, I had the top line melody. I've had that melody for years and it was a guitar riff and then it was a piano riff and then then it ended up that. But it's great. It's great when you, it's actually one of the, the, the best moments of a 
songwriter's life when you get in the studio and there's a full orchestra there and they fire up and they start bringing your songs to life. It's like, oh, wow, fucking hell, you know. So that was um, pleasantly surprising. The opening track is I'm Not Giving Up Tonight. And I mean, that's full on. There's, uh, there's bells, there's, there's oh, whistles. Yeah. It's, it's the whole yeah. thing. Uh, is that at the beginning of the album for a reason? I mean, it sort of seems to set an intention. Yeah, I should have actually had it as the closing track. I think, I think there would have been a better. Well, so the, 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 the closing track is a track called Think of a Number. And actually, the entire track listing was set in stone very, very early, apart from these two tracks. And I kept flipping them just to listen to it home and I kept flipping them and I, ludicrously, I actually thought Think of a Number wasn't strong enough to open a record and I thought people would be expecting a big kind of, and actually, in hindsight, I should have had that as the opening track because it, it would have meant the album would end on a more positive note, whereas it ends on a bit of a bleak note, mm. but that's the one change I would make. Um, but no, it, it's not there for any specific reason other than I felt like for this, you know, my albums always open up with something huge. And I thought for this one, maybe it's something a bit more understated. Um, but it's a fucking great song. It is a great yeah, song. It's a great song. It's yeah. Great. The way that the way that it came out sounded is amazing. Yeah. Yeah, I love all the strings. Yeah, all oh, amazing. And then the horns kick in and you're yeah. just like, what yeah. is going on here? Yeah, we've got a, yeah, we haven't had as much. Well done, Noel. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. Well done. <laughs> thank you. So, so back in the States, as I, as I mentioned at the beginning of this, we're at the Greek Theatre uh, tonight, and you're out with Garbage and, and Metric as well. That's an awesome show. That's a great line. Yeah. How's it been going? You're about a weekend. Uh, we haven't seen much of each other. I've seen, obviously, we've seen each other backstage. Sure. And kind of hanging out and all that. I haven't seen, any, I haven't seen anybody's shows yet because I've been busy doing this, and then uh, I've got stuff going back on in England. So um, I'm on the phone most of the time. But... Um, yeah, I mean, they've been great, you know. I, I don't, I don't, I don't is it stuff. good to be back on the road? Oh, God, I, yeah, I love Toy in America. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. I love it. Yeah, the more, I, the older that I get, the more I appreciate it. I mean, there's nothing better than seeing America on a bus for six weeks. So I love it. It's, it's still, it's still, it's, yeah, 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 you still yeah. get it? Because yeah, I've talked to a, a few Brits over the years who were like, I loved it the first eight times I did it. And then it's like. Oh, really? Yeah, no, I don't, I've not, I haven't got a. I haven't got jaded with it yet. I mean, maybe it's because I've got my own tour bus and I'm kind of, I've got a big fucking huge traveling hotel, so that kind of helps. It's <laughs> probably uh, got something yeah. to do with it. Uh, but I, it's a little um, bit different from a greyhound. No, I mean, tours are what you make them, do you know yeah. what I mean? I mean, look, I've been on tours in a band where it's been fucking dreadful, you know, where it's just the tension and kind of like the, the conflicting egos in a band is can make things tricky. Yeah. Which is why people eventually start going solo because they're like, I oh, fuck those guys. You know what I mean? I do it my own way now. So the way I do it now, it's very clean and serene. Well, you, it's just you. I mean, you make the rules. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, not that there are that many rules, but uh, no, I, I like to do things at my own pace and I like I like the routine of it all. I like the I like the sound checking at the same time and eating the same things on the same day. I never get bored of it. I kind of, I'm, my character is, the way my character is, I'm in need of routine. If everything's all loose and fucked up, I kind of get, makes me anxious. Interesting. You like that with songwriting as well? Do you sort of set, uh, you know, times? No, to... no, so, no songwriting, songwriting is a bit more loose where it's just kind of noodling away at home every day and something will fall out of the sky, mm. like a phrase or something. So that's a bit more, yeah, that, that you're a bit more, yeah, that's a bit more loose. But no, you know, not on, a, on an every, yeah, I crave routine. I don't know why that is. If I don't have structure, if I don't have a set routine, I start, I start to freak out a little bit. 
Um, I have always been like that as a, as a child. So, yeah, so I enjoy it. So let's get to the music questions. What is your first musical memory? Elvis dying in 1977. How old were you? Ten. I was at oh, I was at I was back in Ireland with my mum and all her sisters. She's got like seven sisters, and I remember it was really, really sunny. And as I remember, everybody bursting out crying. Like the, the news came on the radio, and I was like, "Is this fucking Elvis fella?" You know, and like. What? And then uh, for the rest of the year, that was all that was on the radio was yeah. that Elvis, 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 Elvis. And then my parents had this double vinyl, Elvis 40 Golden Greats. And uh, yeah, so I got into Elvis. Was, so you liked it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Who doesn't like fucking Hound Dog? Fucking hell, man. And uh, yeah. Um, yeah, and I'm still a big fan. I don't think he's as good as Buddy Holly. I've grown to love Buddy Holly more. I think. You know, once you work out, what you go, oh, hang on a minute, Elvis didn't write fuck all. It's true. You know what I mean? He was just a performer. Buddy Holly wrote well, Buddy Holly was the, was the guy. I mean, yeah. Buddy Holly's the man, you know yeah. what I mean? And if it's a toss-up between Buddy and Elvis, I'm afraid it's Buddy Holly all the way. But that's purely from the artistic point yeah, of view. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Elvis is just like, he's fucking up there with, you know, them all, isn't he? I, I've got a couple of years on you. I think I was a little older than you when, when he when he died, but I do remember it and what a big deal it was. But he was sort of like my parents' music, and so I, I railed against it. It wasn't until later on right. that I just was like... Yeah, you, 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 you'd be an old punk then, right? Just at the edge of it, yeah. Probably, yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. Uh, well, the, as I remember it, punks were like, you know, year zero was the pistol starting. <laughs> no, I, I started a little bit before that, but it was just that that was, you know, that was my dad's music. You, right. didn't, you didn't listen to your dad's music. And then later on, I was like, fucking Elvis is amazing. Yeah. All right. What was the first music you bought with your own money? Well, I'm afraid to say, the first, well, the first song that was ever bought for me was a seven inch of a show, a song called. I won't let the show go on by Leo Sayer. Oh, I remember that. And I'd seen him on top of the pops dressed as a clown. And you asked somebody for and it. And asked someone, somebody bought it for me. But the, but the first thing I bought with my own money was Nevermind the Bollocks by the Sex Pistols. Uh, and yeah, changed my life like everybody else's. What was the first concert you went to without any adult supervision? Uh, the, uh, 1980, I went to see The Damned at Manchester Apollo. So how old were you? I was 13. What did that feel like? Amazing. Just well, it was uh, anybody's first gig is a life-changing experience. And uh, I only got in because my one of my mum's friends who came from the same village in Ireland, the Irish bouncers did all the doors on the nightclubs in Manchester. Right, right, right. So you could get in. And uh, yeah, Sean Dolan was the head of security. And uh, he said, just come down, wait till the gig's gone. And then they kind of, they let you in and stand at the back. There's only like three of us. We were just young kids, you know. Right. But we were into punk. And uh, I remember them coming on and Captain Sensible and fucking being, you know, many years later I would play on that stage, you know, and it, it didn't look as glamorous when I was playing on it. Because like when you're 13, you're like, wow, it's fucked. You know, and then when you're like 29, you're like, well, fucking shit all. <laughs> was it like... I mean, were you sold right then that yeah, the music yeah, yeah. was for you? Yeah, I was lucky. I had an, the guys that I was hanging around with at school. Uh, one of them played the drums and had a drum kit in his shed. I mean, we were all into music. Yeah, look, I mean, 
you know, growing up in the in the seventies and eighties in England, obviously you know yourself, there was no role in TV news. There was no football twenty four hours a day. There was nothing. There was just, you know, you went to school and there was there was the radio, there was music, then there was Top of the Pops. That was it. It was like fucking, you know. There was the FA Cup final. There was one live, <laughs> one live football match. There was match. nothing else worth watching. So yeah, you were just into girls and and music, right? And it's no, it's no coincidence that now as the world has become a a rolling entertainment, you know, fucking matrix for kids. Yeah. Music is just another thing. They don't really. It's like yeah, it's there. It's just you know, for us, it was the most important thing in our lives. You know what I mean? No, it's like a product. Mm. Mm. What do you listen to when you want to dance? Acid House. Yeah, anything from the uh, late 80s, 80s, 88 to 1990. Anything Hacienda stuff, just, yeah. That. What do you listen to when you're feeling sad? I don't really, uh, I don't really have a set kind of thing when I'm feeling, I don't really feel down that much. And if I ever do, it's not, I'm not, I'm not in the mood for listening to music, that's for sure. Well, there are some great sad songs. Bert Bacharach wrote quite a few. Um, but I haven't got one in particular favourite. If you could only hear one song for the rest of your life, what would it be? Fucking hell. Well, I don't know. Whatever you're going to say, you're going to get annoyed with pretty fucking quick. <laughs> the one, one person I asked this to well, said, we... said, it's got to be instrumental because I just cannot listen to the same fucking words over and over again. I would thought it'd have to be quite long and epic, so at least you're getting some fucking... Journey out. So, like a whole side, a whole album or something? Yeah. Uh, I thought, what would I like to listen to? God almighty. I don't know. Like Shine on You Crazy Diamonds, about 23 minutes long, isn't it? Something by Pink Floyd. Yeah. Do you have a favorite music video? I used to like videos until I had to start making them. I fucking hate them. Uh, Best music video? No, I can't say I do. Let's Dance by David Bowie. I don't know. Oh, still, what? actually, maybe one of some of the U2 stuff from Joshua Tree. Still haven't found what I'm looking for. It's pretty good. There's busking in LA about Jesus. Do you have a recent musical discovery that you'd like to share with our listeners? It doesn't Um, doesn't have to be new, just something that's new to you. Well, I... mm -hmm. No, it's the short answer. Uh, I can't think. As you were doing that, I was thinking, oh, well, we'll chop all this part out. Yeah. And then you get to no, and I'm like, no, I think we'll leave it all in. I can't think. Um, I can't think. Is there, a, is there a band or artist that you love, but you feel they never got the big break they deserved? The Left Bank would spring to mind immediately. Uh, great fucking songs. Um, uh, I'm going to say the left bank. No one really texts for the left bank, but Desiree and Bartras and their wives and Walk Away Renee and, mm. you know, the, the whole first album is amazing. Do you have a musical guilty pleasure? No, 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 no. no I don't feel guilty about anything I like. I'm, I, you know, I, uh, no, Tears for Fears, people wouldn't associate me with that on Pet Shop Boys, but I love 80s music, I think it's fucking great. It's a golden age of songwriting. I heard that Pet Shop Boys remix. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, which song is it? Think of a number. Yeah, I heard it last night. Well, that was the most toned down one. They sent me three versions of Fuck Me. <laughs> Tried to put number one out. 
There's been a lot of upset Mancunian youths. Yeah. Out, so fucking, what's all this? Just fucking shit. <laughs> so they, got... were, they, were, they were sending them in levels of pet shop boysness. <laughs> and they got to one, I think it was number five. I was like, that's acceptable, I think. I met those guys about 10 years ago at the radio station and nobody recorded it. I'm so fucking pissed off. They're amazing. I'd yeah. seen them last year at Glastonbury. They were fucking incredible. Just a brilliant, brilliant songwriters. Uh, and we're wrapping it up. How are you feeling right now? Uh, I feel all right. I feel all right. Nothing more, nothing less. Ready for something to eat and then ready to, for a barrage of fucking friends to arrive. And it's like LA is one of those towns where you just to see everybody. Everybody's here. Everybody's here. I've got to get somewhere to eat before they all descend on my dressing room. And oh my god! <laughs> well, listen. Thanks for taking a minute. It's great to see you all again. Right. Thank you very much. Appreciate it, man. Thank you. Cheers. Thank you. Yeah. My thanks to Tristan Dolce and Matt Blake from 88.5 The SoCal Sound for capturing the audio and video of the conversation. You can watch the video of Noel answering the music questions at the Spark Cafe on SparkNetwork.com. Thanks also to Ashley Burns, Trina Trombrink, and Mookie Caxor. The Sound of Success is hosted and produced by myself, Nick Harcourt, for Spark Network. Our theme music is by Keita Klein. For more episodes, find us on Spotify, Apple, sparknetwork.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. <laughs>